0: You're listening to Beyond Infinity, your weekly dose of science and technology, presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. So, John, the Perseverance rover has launched successfully to Mars. I watched it a couple of nights ago live, and uh, it was exciting. It was a very smooth launch. It actually went uh, literally to the minute at the very beginning of the launch window, which I think was a few hours long. Um, so it's really good that it's got away because if they miss the launch window, when you're going to Mars, if you if you miss it, then uh, that can delay things by two years. Uh, and that, so there was uh, no weather concerns at that point because I know no, that there has been some um, uh, some concern about weather further south, uh, you know, away from America. So it's good that there wasn't any weather concerns. No, they yeah. had good weather. They, they they watched that very very closely, and uh, it, I mean it was it was just perfect blue sky. So local time, it was early in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, but it's summer in Florida uh, at the Kennedy Space Center where, where it launched from all went according to plans. It's a large rover, and it's being sent to Mars to specifically look for life, so look for micro- microbial life or for the signs left over. Microbial life may not still be there, great if it is, but they're also looking for signs of you know fossilised uh, remnants or telltale signs that it, it existed in the past because they know that, that Mars had a, a watery past, that there was standing water three billion years ago on the surface there. For a long time, though, it's been a very cold desert uh, with very thin atmosphere. So, you know, the chances of life existing on Mars were, were much better earlier on in its history than they are now. But that doesn't mean that they're not interested to see if they can find signs of it being there in the past and maybe some particularly hardy microbial life, which is what they'd most likely reckon they'd find there. If they find anything, that microbial life may have gone underground or maybe somehow is surviving in certain pockets near the surface so how long is it going to take to get to mars it's a what it's a, but a few months yes Four, yeah, it's a six months a six, month journey. six months yeah so they wait for the orbits to line up so you you fly out of um, you know orbit away from earth you head out towards the orbit of mars so you're not just flying in a straight line because if you did mars would have moved if you pointed the rocket or the spacecraft directly at mars by the time you got to your target mars would have continued out of the way on mm-hmm. its orbit, so you so you basically pick a trajectory which gets you to where Mars will be in six months' time. Mm-hmm. That opportunity happens every two years, roughly. That's the rhythm of, of sending uh, sending spacecraft there. And actually, there's been two other. Well, the Chinese are launching to Mars, and the United Arab Emirates have also sent a probe to go into orbit at Mars. So, so two other countries taking advantage of this launch window in 2020. So just running through it, it's almost a twin of of the Curiosity Rover, which we've talked about a lot on our website, and you'll find podcasts there on beyondinfinity.com.au. But that same design, so it's about the size of a small SUV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's six-wheel, uh, rocker bogey, suspension system, metal wheels, big wide tread wheels, uh, redesigned wheels, I should mention, because the Curiosity Rover had problems and has... They had really problems. thin wheels, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. it had well, it had bad rocks were poking through. They found, this, the, I suppose, the extra weight of the Rover on the surface and the sharpness and hardness of the rocks that they found in uh, uh, at Gale Crater where, where Curiosity is looking around damaged the wheels. And, and actually, if you look at recent photos, you'll see quite big holes in the wheels, which they're aware of and they're driving in a way to try to, to minimise further damage to the wheels. And so far, it's not limiting that mission. But the new rover, Perseverance, very similar in a lot of ways to Curiosity, same overall design, but it has got redesigned wheels, which will be harder and tougher, and thicker aluminium, titanium spokes, which give a bit of suspension. So we shouldn't have those same problems that um, that Curiosity has had. Um, a lot of a lot of research and time uh, and, and effort went into making sure that 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 doesn't happen again. It's the, got an articulated arm with a drill on the end, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got a it's got a it's got an articulated arm with um, lots and lots of instruments, which I'll come to. The weight of it is slightly heavier. Curiosity weighed about 900 kilograms. This is just the rover. And Perseverance is about 1,025 kilograms at launch. Dimension's about 3 meters by 2.7 meters by 2.2 meters. So it's a decent-sized vehicle. Mm. Landing is going to happen on the 18th of February 2021, so about six months' time from now. There are seven main scientific instruments plus a drone tech Technology demonstrator, which is attached to the underside of the rover. We've got a a podcast about that. You can go to our website and check out for yourself if you're interested. It's called A Helicopter for Mars at our website, beyondinfinity.com.au. There's also another podcast we did specifically on this latest rover called Precision Landing for Mars 2020 at Jezero. So, two other podcasts you can listen to recorded earlier. That helicopter—it's really mainly just to demonstrate a technology. Because in future, you know, instead of trying to drive around, it might be quite beneficial to be able to land and then drill a few rocks or take a few samples and then take off and, and land somewhere else. It allows you to cover a much air, a bigger area and, and hone in on specific areas of interest rather than having to drive between point to point because these rovers are slow they do take you know they move um, Mm. uh, particularly slow I think it's uh, the top speed of Perseverance is 0.16 kilometres per hour uh, which works out to be about um, up to a maximum of 200 metres per day Mm -hmm. uh, in autopilot mode upgraded software which allows for autonomous driving Both Rovers, the Curiosity Rover, which is still in action at Gale Crater, landed in 2012, been there for eight years. It has some degree of autonomy in the way that it can drive. Well, they've enhanced that technology and and added more um, autonomous driving software, so that'll be even better and easier to do with the new Rover. It's powered by an RTG, a radioisotope thermoelectric generator, which has a plutonium core And that is generating heat, and there's converters that convert that to electrical power, uh, the equivalent of about 110 watts, I believe, to power the rover. You know, your standard household ceiling light Mm -hmm. um, is the power supply for the whole rover. But the good thing about uh, an RTG is that it doesn't get affected by bad weather, unlike Opportunity, which died after a really big uh, global dust storm, Mm -hmm. uh, reduced its power levels through its solar panels to a critical point, and it basically froze and died. Uh, After a very successful um, extended mission of um, 14 years on the surface of driving around doing great science, Opportunity was killed off by limitations to its solar power supply, whereas an RTG doesn't have that problem. So you know, Curiosity, which has got the same sort of power supply, nuclear. It was there weathering that same global dust storm, which knocked out Opportunity. Curiosity didn't have any problems because it wasn't (laughs) relying on clean solar panels for electricity. They're expecting about 14 years of life out of the RTG. uh, Normal circumstances, Curiosity has been going for eight years already after landing in 2012. So there should be some good life ahead of Perseverance. And it's one of a series of rovers that have landed on Mars. One of a series of spacecraft in the solar system, robotic spacecraft that have been powered by nuclear power. Cassini, a very successful orbiter out at uh, Saturn. It was. It had an RTG, Curiosity, as I mentioned, has an, had an RTD. The Apollo missions, which, which included astronauts to the surface of the moon, The experiments packages that they left on the moon were powered by nuclear RTGs. Galileo at Jupiter, nuclear. New Horizons out at Pluto and the Kuiper belt is nuclear powered. The Voyager probes, which are still in communication after I think they launched in 1977. They're still going strong with nuclear power. And the Dragonfly drone mission to Titan in the design phase at the moment, that will be nuclear powered as well. We talked a little bit about the wheels, upgraded, uh, tougher, uh, thicker aluminum, tougher design, uh, so hopefully avoid the problems with Curiosity's wheels. There are lots and lots of cameras on board Perseverance, 23 cameras in all, and right. two microphones. So for the first time, we're going to hear the sounds of of Mars and wind and that sort of thing, the sound of, of uh, the arm, you know, that, that the turret moving around and swapping instruments and so we'll actually pick up some sound there. Uh, and there's actually some science they're going to do with what sound is picked up and the, you know, the physical prop- properties of the atmosphere and how s- sound waves travel on the surface of Mars oh, yeah. in, in a in, in very low-pressure environment, one-one-hundredth of the surface pressure of Earth. The other thing about all those, those cameras on board, I think there's seven on the, the EDL system, so the Entry, de- Descent and Landing system is going to have seven cameras on board. They're going to allow us for the first time ever. Uh, it won't be live because they have to land first and then get themselves set up, get the um, antenna pointed back at Earth uh, or up at a relay satellite and, and then get the signal uh, heading back to ground stations on Earth. We will get video footage, high-res video footage, taken on the way down to the surface of Mars. So looking up at the parachute, for example, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. showing how, how the parachute looks, uh, entering landing sequence, and then also the sky crane maneuver when the um the parachute separated and that uh, jet powered uh, sky crane lowers the, the rover down with its wheels extended on a uh, on a cable uh, below it and then and delivers it you know gently to the surface then the cables are cut and sky crane goes off and crashes safely in a safe place there's cameras going to be showing that sky crane sequence as well. So it'll be really, really exciting yeah, right. and amazing yeah. to see those. Instead of computer-generated models showing what that looks like, which we've had in the past, which we had with Mars Curiosity and Mars Perseverance, we're going to get the real thing. So that'll be exciting to see. Doesn't it have an oxygen kind of creator system that, or about testing the, the generation of oxygen for future missions as well? I think I read something about that. Yeah, it does. It does. So it's got a, it's got a device on board. It's called the uh, MOXIE. Uh, is the acronym for it. It's Mars Oxygen ISRU experiment, an exploration technology, so one of these demonstrator technologies, a bit like the chopper on board to to prove its worth, uh, and it will produce a small amount of oxygen from Martian atmospheric carbon dioxide. This technology could be scaled up in the future for human life support or to make rocket fuel for future return missions. One of the other things that, that's key to this is the samples that's going to take so it's got this very sophisticated uh, drill on board one of the instruments on the on the mechanical arm on the turret which is like a swiss army knife it rotates around different instruments can be sort of activated and and put in contact with rocks and the surface as it drives around Um, if it finds something it thinks of that the other instruments the spectrometers and stuff say okay this is an unusual material we should cache this put it in a little cylinder uh, keep it in the belly of the of the rover i think there's 43 sample cylinders that will be collected in all and the plan is in about six or seven years time to go back to mars back to jezero and retrieve these cached cylinders which are super clean and sealed Mm and you know apparently the the cleanest some of the cleanest objects that have ever been spent sent into space because they don't want to take microbes from earth (laughs) pick up a rock sample from mars and then go to the trouble of, of you know collecting it Bring it back to Earth, putting in a lab and going, oh, we found microbes just like on Earth. Wow! (laughs) Uh, So, so the cleanliness is a big issue. The fact that they're going to go back to Jezero to get these these samples, there's a bit, uh, you know, a little bit controversy about that. I mean, one argument is that, well, why didn't you just, if you're going to go back there, then why not just get the samples when you're back there with the machine that can take off again because you need mm-hmm. a rocket you need to land with a rocket on board that can take off from mars mm. Ronde, rendezvous very likely rendezvous with a a satellite that's in orbit around mars and then head back to earth or maybe mm. you take off from the surface and you fly direct back to earth however that works the question is if you're going to go back to Jezero to, to retrieve these cached samples then why not just get the samples with that mission you know sort yeah. of a two-stage instead of one stage but look there are arguments for and against that. NASA's chosen to do it this way. There are instruments on board which will also measure composition of rocks as well. So they'll get data about what the composition is. It's just not as detailed as if they can actually bring rocks back yes. to Earth and put them in a in a very sophisticated Earth-based land microscopes case. and cut them yeah. up and everything. Yeah, 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 that's right. So that's a key thing. And then you know the progression of this is that you know once you've got those samples back and you can look at really interesting rocks, which maybe they had the signs of, of ancient microbes, or maybe they even contain microbes, then that gives us uh, even more information of what we're going to look for is when we go there as peoples. If you retrace it back, you know, there's the, the Viking landers, you know, the 1970s. They had an instrument on board which has, I think, since been decided that, no, that didn't find life. They thought for a while maybe it had. Some people believe that it's still the case. And they actually had cameras which would show movement on Vikings. So if there was anything moving around, like an animal, the way the cameras worked in the line-by-line scans of the environment would pick up something that was, you know, in the first scan, it was in the foreground. If it had moved, then that would be a sign that there was life. Well, they didn't see anything move. It looks like it's pretty... um, pretty desert-like and cold and a mm-hmm. very harsh environment. Lots of radiation, very thin atmosphere, not much protection from solar radiation and, and uh, interstellar radiation, so a dangerous place for people to, uh, to live. If you're going to go and live on Mars, you're going to need serious shielding, both on the journey from Earth and also once you get to the surface of, of right. Mars. So, so organisms that have survived there, if they are there, they're going to have to be pretty tough and may well be underground, in which case these rovers are going to find it hard to, to find them but there is an evolution so from viking then then the other rovers that have been there as well the um, the sojourner rover which went with pathfinder it was the first rover that drove around on the surface a little microwave sized object fairly simple used six wheels uh, it roved around did did uh, have a little uh, sensor on its on its snout which sniffed rocks and gave some information about the composition of rocks that it went to and then the very successful solar-powered Mars Exploration Rovers Spirit and Opportunity, they launched in 2003, then Curiosity in 2012. It looked for habitability and proved that, yes, Gale Crater was at once a watery environment, so it was habitable, by our, our definitions anyway, of mm-hmm. what's, what's habitable for life. So Perseverance is the next step in that sequence. Then in six or seven years' time, if all goes to plan, there'll be the sample return from the cached samples that uh, Perseverance... Gets and then after that, return of those samples. Then, the theory is the plan is that that will be that, that step will involve people going to Mars. Other instruments there's a SuperCam, which is an instrument suite that uh, provides Im- imaging, chemical composition analysis, mineralogy, and rocks and regolith from the surface. It's an upgraded version of ChemCam, which is flown on board Curiosity. It has two lasers and four spectrometers that will allow it to remotely identify biosignatures and assess habitability there's a mass cam Z, a stereoscopic imaging system with the ability to zoom so higher res uh, you know more megapixels i think it's about up to about 20 megapixel camera on board the the most powerful camera, whereas I think uh, Curiosity was only uh, I think the maximum was about two two megapixels. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so so improvements in you know as you'd expect in incremental improvements in the technology that's being sent there. Yeah, a, uh, an X-ray lithochemistry, X-ray fluorescence spectrometer to determine the fine scale elemental composition of Mars surface materials. A radar imager for Mars subsurface experiment, ground-penetrating radar, which will be interesting, allowing them to look for underground water ice down to about a depth of about 10 metres. So that's an interesting new instrument that's on board, provided by the Norwegian Defence Research Establishment. There's also the Mars Environmental Dynamics Analyzer set of sensors to measure temperature, wind speed, direction, pressure, relative humidity, radiation, dust particle size. So like a really cool weather station, basically. Yeah, right. there's There's that oxygen experiment to see if they can generate oxygen from the Martian atmosphere there's a uh, scanning habitable environments with Raman and luminescence of organics chemicals, Sherlock for short, which is a uh, type of spectrometer that uses fine-scale imaging and ultraviolet laser to determine fine-scale mineralogy and detect organic compounds. So there's a specific instrument looking for organics and microbes is what they would expect to find if they're going to find anything that's alive or was alive. hmm The landing, I think, is going to be really particularly exciting once it gets down safely and radios back those live images of the uh, and video of the descent, that uh, entry, descent and landing, that seven minutes of terror where you come screaming in at 18,000 kilometres per hour, something like that, hit the upper atmosphere, use your heat shield to start with to break you a little bit, then a, a supersonic parachute to slow down even more, then that sky crane to see that you know, with cameras rather than just computer models, it'll just be great to see that that uh, touchdown on the surface of a of a. Oh, um, oh, a, a lot of things need to go right. Oh, yeah, a, a lot of things do, mate. But they've they've done it they've done it before once. So yes, know, with yeah. curiosity. So that same landing system has been proven to work. And they are absolutely leveraging that as far as they can with this new rover. It's a very similar design. The instruments are different, but the actual chassis and the, the overall design and, and the landing system is the same. I actually was watching a video showing the electronics inside this with the lid taken off, you know, the main body of the rover and the electronics are unbelievable. It's just, a it really is uh, um, a, a piece of work. Very complicated, very capable, lots that can go wrong. They've, they've done it before, so hopefully they can do it again in, in February 2021. Excellent. And a pretty good effort given lockdowns and a lot of people had to learn to work from home. And Was you know, this at like, one of these missions that was at risk of being postponed yeah, well, it, due to was, COVID? It, it was. I mean, uh, when COVID struck and when they were suddenly forced to into isolation in, in March, when it started this year in America at various sites because it's not just one place it's collaborative it's you know some of it's in california some of it's in florida some of it's at other places some of it's from overseas in europe to bring all those things together and then to find yourself suddenly in that final assembly stage where things have to be got right you know this is this is basically closing up the spacecraft and packaging it up no more changes before it goes to mars that was right when the pandemic hit you know, it did require uh, adjustments. People working from home suddenly and doing everything on computers, and instead of people meeting face to face, they're having to do things remotely. And so I think a pretty good effort actually to get it to get it done and to get it launched safely, which is which is successful. It is on <laughs> the way. <laughs> it's going to land in Jezero Crater. So those forty-three caching tubes to be returned to the Earth eventually. They're looking at an ancient river delta. So it's where water moved around and filled up a, a crater. The area is believed to be about 3 billion years old, so very ancient terrain on Mars. was a previously habitable environment, that's the thinking. Deltas are good for finding sedimentary rock deposits, lots of interesting minerals for the rover to look for biosignatures. The aim is to collect a very wide variety of samples from this really interesting landing site, Jezero do it over a period of, you know, it could be up to 10 years that the mission's driving around collecting those samples. Depending on exactly when the the retrieval mission's going to happen, it might say, okay, well, the first seven years, six or seven years we spend just getting the samples done, getting the best, driving the biggest area we can, collecting the widest variety of of rock samples. They get picked up for collection and return to Earth, and then the rover continues without doing the sample collection, but still doing science. Yeah. You know, they're aiming with the the rock samples, you know, because there's 43 of them, they're going to, they'll keep some spare. You know, they'll probably fill, they're talking about filling, say, 20, 25 of them, Mm -hmm. and then having some spare because, you know, if they find, they'll think they've got, oh, that sample looks great. Uh, That one would definitely keep. They're going to be very picky about what they choose. They're not going to just be picking up everything. And they'll keep some spare in case later in the mission, they find something they think is just so extraordinary, they have to return a sample back to Earth. So that's the plan. Mars Perseverance just launched and landing on February the 18th, 2021 at Jezero Crater. Looking forward to seeing the videos. Yeah, bloody eyes, mate. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.